Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You're listening to Griefcast with me, Cariad Lloyd. Griefcast is a place to talk, share and laugh about the peculiar human process of death and grief. Each week I talk to a different person about their experiences of grief and death as we remember someone that they have lost along the way. Whether it was a long time ago or you've just joined the club. Welcome to Griefcast. Hold up, what was that? Boring, no flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, Greasters, I hope you're having an okay week. So just to, first of all, give a bit of a trigger warning, uh, this week's episode is to coincide with Baby Loss Awareness Week. Uh, Baby Loss Awareness Week is the 9th to the 15th of October, I think every year, and this week I'll be speaking to Sarah Brown about the loss of their daughter. Um, I will give you some more information about her in a second, but I just wanted to say I have done a few episodes on child loss and... I just want to be honest with you that it, you know, here at Griefcast, with me at Griefcast, I really want to cover all types of grief. I want everyone to have an episode that will help them. Baby loss is not something I have experienced and I have spoken to people about it before because I think it's really important that it's covered. I get lots of emails from listeners asking me to cover it. And this interview, I'd very, very recently given birth to my second child which Sarah actually very kindly you'll hear references in the interview saying you know are you sure you're up for this and I don't think I was I don't think I did a good enough job as I have sometimes done maybe in the past or I could have done and I think that's entirely down to my own fears and you know I speak about this all the time in the podcast oh people think like death is catching and we should talk about it but you know what? It's really hard to have those conversations, especially when it comes to babies and children. So I just want to say if you are someone who's experienced baby loss and you feel like I don't do a very good job in this interview, um, I'm sorry because I agree with you. I don't think I did the best job possible. And I think that maybe because I haven't experienced it, perhaps it's just really, perhaps I'm not the best person to do those interviews, but I do The reason I do them is because I do want there to be those episodes in case it's helpful. So that is my apology to you. If you are experiencing baby loss or you have have going through it or you've been through it, I just wanted to say, 
yeah say sorry and to also let you know that there's this episode um i have also interviewed luke conran who lost the baby in pregnancy i have a couple of episodes about miscarriages including sarah barron and garrett millerick and mother pucker as she is known and a white house there is also an episode with jason green who lost his daughter when she was two years old as well so and zoe adele um who runs saying goodbye which is an amazing uh, baby loss charity as well so if you are looking for other episodes we do have them This week I'm talking Sarah Brown. You may be familiar with Sarah for being the wife of former Prime Minister Gordon Brown, but in her own right, she's the chair of global children's charity, Their World. Sarah came in to talk to me about her daughter, Jennifer, who died just 10 days after she was born. I'm going to ask this straight away because I don't know how you can start a conversation without mentioning it. Like, how has your lockdown been so far? Has it been okay or...? Well, there's two sides to the lockdown. One is the kind of day-to-day and my life's completely fine. I'm with my family, mm. with my favourite people, and we've all adapted so brilliantly. So you you end up connecting in with the outside world. Everyone at uh, the charity, their world, no one's been furloughed. Everyone moved to working from home. Oh, that's good. They've yeah. adapted projects, even ones that are, you know, refugee camps on the Greek islands or co-clubs in Africa. All of those have adapted. So that side of it, I've been you know, overwhelmed by how flexible people have been. And Mm. to that extent, lockdown's gone well. But the fact of why we are in lockdown is the tragedy, really. And to think of the suffering that people have gone through is... So it's always set against that. Yeah, I think that's a very (laughs) fair and eloquent answer. (laughs) Because I think for most people, it's the same, isn't it? It's like most people's day-to-day has... It's just like you're in a lot. But yeah, it hasn't... Mo- the majority of people hasn't massively affected but yeah I completely agree with you it's it's sort of staggering isn't it um, well everything what, when you think of somebody and you know I'm in a house and I've got a garden and I think of mm. you know a family stuck in a tiny flat you know that's not fun just to get through the oh, day-to-day of that you know no. young children who just want to go and roar around somewhere yeah I know yeah. thank they, when they because I have a friend who lives in Spain and I know they they did complete lockdown so they were my friends were in a flat with a three-year-old not allowed to leave and every day I kept thinking as long as they let us out like as long as I can go to a park then this is bear, this is bearable because the child can run yeah they were really yeah. tough in Spain my sister-in-law was yeah. out there with her husband and they had to take it in turns to walk the dog because only one oh person was allowed walking with the dog whoa <laughs> Oh, that's so, yeah, that's what they, when, when they ease it, my friend said like the mum went out, one was allowed out with the three-year-old and the dad was allowed, they weren't allowed to out together. God. But yeah, I mean, you have to do these things, don't you? It's, it's, it's a difficult time. Um, so Sarah, obviously we're not, not here to discuss COVID-19, although how can anyone talk about anything else at the moment? Who are we remembering today? Well, talking to you, I obviously want to remember Jennifer, who was my baby daughter that we lost at a very young age. Um, which is the greatest loss in my life, of course. You know. And how old was Jennifer? She was just 10 days old. Oh, that is so... Oh. I mean, there's no good age, is there, <laughs> for a baby to leave this world. But that, it, when you say a number like that, it just seems so precious and tiny, such a tiny little thing. So um, what was her full name? Was it... So did she have a middle name? Uh, well, she was Jennifer Jane, but it was one of those things where you're kind of rushed into everything including registering names and things so we'd chosen Jennifer together and Jane was my middle name so 
Oh, I didn't even think of that. Of course, you then suddenly have to do all that, the admin side of it at the moment. So that was, this was your first pregnancy? It was my first pregnancy, my first child. Oh, um, my so Jennifer was born at the very end of 2001 in December, just after Christmas. And um, Gordon and I had got married the year before. I'd got pregnant. We were really happy about it. We were, by that point, Gordon was Chancellor of the Exchequer. So we were in Downing Street and a bit under the spotlight. And yeah. I was looking at changing my work, but still planning to stay working, um, which I did do. But I'd actually just changed where I was working, went to um, uh, set up an, art, an arts PR firm. It, it just none of it was expected. None of um, mm. I hadn't experienced it with anyone else. I hadn't really been at that time aware of anything like that happening to anyone else. Um, oh, and God. So, I mean... It's a terrible shock anyway, but I, yeah, if it comes completely, if you haven't even, haven't even entered your sphere of this is something that might happen. No, not really. I mean, you sort of, you know, everything seemed to be going well, but we'd gone in for a, a sort of late on scan and um, suddenly everything went from naught to 90 and suddenly I had to kind of move quite quickly and they delivered her a little bit early and we were all hoping that everything was okay. She was very little. And then as the days evolved, she had to go through a transfer from one hospital to another. So she was moved by ambulance to Edinburgh, which that was one of the hardest moments right in the middle. And then from that moment, it it, it changed gear. At that moment, we knew that over those period of days, we would lose her. And it was about oh. spending the time with her. So they told you that she wasn't going to be able to survive? Not at, at the beginning, point. but at some point, yeah. Mm. We, we just, in those last few days. Um, so everything had been working very hard to do everything you could. And everyone being, I mean, our NHS is extraordinary. Oh, incredible, incredible. So everyone from, you know, the consultants with their expertise, but through to, you know, the neonatologists, but also the nurses that work there and the carers, they're working in those special care baby units and... Um, I just think the work they do there is so remarkable because there are lots of happy outcomes, lots of moments where yeah. they arrive. Everything's really scary and kind of t- taking off. But what they can do um, and the care that they can bring, there's many, many happy outcomes. But for us, it wasn't to be. Um, mm. But what was frustrating was also that we didn't really have an explanation, that no one could explain to us quite why it had happened. Oh, gosh. Um, and so that set me off on another journey beyond that to try and think about what we can do to kind of bring greater knowledge to that area. So a lot is good. I'm talking about this 18 years on, looking back. Mm. I can see a lot of good has come out of that tragedy for us. But it's a huge, huge loss and one Gordon and I live with every day. I think that's the thing, isn't it, with grief, that so much good can come out of a loss. Of course it can nothing is ever good or nothing is ever all good or all bad you know that's that's the way of human life it's so mixed but it doesn't stop something being incredibly painful as obviously it is so did you manage to you, you said you spent those last few days with her yeah just very very precious moments our family were able to come and visit her um oh yeah and when i look back on it even now um i'm sure gordon would say the same we can remember Every single moment, it was so precious. And when you're mm. with a baby where that life is so short, actually every single experience and time, I feel I got to know her really well. I knew her fight. I knew the, you know, the sort of everything she had there. So, yeah, 
it's many years later, but it's still very um, painful, but combined with a huge, huge, um, deep love. Mm, of course, of course. I think, it's, you know, we talk a lot on the show about um, the grief hierarchy and how, you know, there isn't a grief hierarchy. Grief is grief. And like, you know, just because I, I lost my dad, if someone lost their, their, their nan, we might feel the same kind of pain. And But I think, of course, when it comes to a life, like you said, so shortly lived, it's just it's just un- unbelievably painful, isn't it? It's just terribly, terribly sad. It's just terribly sad when something is so short. Of course it is. Yeah, and, and also the, completely understand- the deep um, kind of sense you have of a life that won't be lived, and that feels mm. a huge loss. It's that piece of it's not my loss, that's her loss. Of course, yeah, that's a really lovely way of putting it, um, that it is about you're grieving for her as much as for yourself because you know that you know what she could have been and all of that but yeah there's it's just it's just a terribly terribly sad thing that some people that humans and some humans have to go through I just really feel for you especially as you know having just had a baby oh my god 17 weeks ago something like that no I was cautious about having the conversation (laughs) now and wondered if you wanted to leave it a bit yeah no mm. and I and I do because I think it's really important to talk about and I think I wonder if this happened to you actually I think sometimes when you know someone who's lost a baby and maybe people feel like this with dads with me of like they almost don't want to mention their healthy baby because you're like oh that person lost a baby and you sort of get into this world where the person who's lost a baby no one is speaking to them about that in case they get sad yeah maybe I mean I think my situation was very different um because we were very much in the public eye so um, that must have been so hard I always say the very weird upside in it was I didn't really have to explain it to anybody I think I've having talked to many parents since who've lost babies that it's very difficult when they re-enter their regular Mm. life and people don't know it's happened and constantly needing to explain it when it's such sad news is is a difficult thing to have to do and that was something I never had to do yeah Um, that's true especially I think if someone is you know pregnancy is so visible yeah people say oh you've had the baby what did you have how you know you know and all of that is very very difficult to have to kind of keep repeating that and I didn't have to do that I received thousands of letters thousands and thousands of letters from people and what uh, struck me so much I had a you know obviously I was able to take a bit of time off work just go through my own grieving process Gordon wasn't so fortunate he had to mm. head back into work um, and maybe during that year use that as his way of managing where he would separate the private time that we would have mm. that would be more about the loss and the grief we were going through and then he would just get back into his work but for me I created a kind of working pattern of answering all of those letters reading them and answering all of them I couldn't write right to everybody but we printed Mm. a postcard and then I was able to add notes to it but I wrote personally to everybody who'd written to me who expressed a similar loss themselves who shared that loss and what struck me overall from all of that was just how common a story it was Um, Mm. and when I dug a bit deeper at that time I mean I'm going back to um, 2002 I realized how common to lose a baby was as a stillbirth or in a short period of time in the neonatal death, you know, in that first month after mm. after birth and how few explanations there were. There were some, there were some where it was obvious what had happened mm. and others where 
the obstetricians, the neonatologists working side by side would do all they could. And they knew um, they'd been, you know, obviously the little neonatal units with the little um, incubators are, that's an extraordinary thing that you're able to allow a baby to grow and flourish if it's born very early and kind of finish off the last Mm. bit outside. But so much has um, happened just in that little world, the little world of the incubator where just the the delicate adjustments of the oxygen levels are absolutely key to how well a baby will flourish, their brain development, their eyesight, all sorts of things. And that's moved forward in the most astonishing way. Um, The other thing was we're learning more just in the in the labs really about the sci- science of what can happen what happens through pregnancy um and so in the you know in the aftermath of that terrible loss for us and reading and understanding how many people it affected how many women it affected through their pregnancies we set up the Jennifer Brown Research Laboratory and it's based at the Queen's Medical Research Institute in Edinburgh and is part of the University of Edinburgh and in the last 15 16 years it's done some absolutely remarkable work. Um, it started off with uh, four young women as the first cohort of scientists. And everyone said to us, look, if one or two projects kind of gain a bit of traction and come up with something, then you've done really well out of four projects. Yeah. And all four hit something. Wow. Because I think it was early days. I think it's also because they were really good at what they were doing. Mm. But it was early days for just uncovering new information and... Um, all of them have gone off to be amazing doctors and do extraordinary things. And the work of the laboratory has flourished. It's now headed up by a, a young guy called uh, Professor James Boardman, who heads the team there. Um, and he's a neonatologist. He comes from that side. And he's now built and is running something called the Their World Edinburgh Birth Cohort, which is um, a cohort of babies born prematurely who right from before they were born, all their health and their progress and how they're doing at home at school is tracked. So all the families are part of this study and it will be something that will go on for decades through their lives, Mm. but it will allow those people studying it and anybody wanting to kind of read the information that comes out of it to understand what happens and what we're really trying to do there is look at what you can predict to try and do things that are preventative at the start of course take the actions right there in the special care baby unit but also by understanding what happens to premature babies as they grow up to be children and further on into adulthood What's the implications for their health? What's the implications yeah. for the way they're living their lives? Do they, are there particular things that we'll see emerge that maybe early interventions could be more helpful for them? So that's the work that's happening now. Is that because um, really interesting? Because obviously, you know, I remember growing up and people being like, "Oh, they were premature," and so maybe they're slightly smaller in your class. You know, I remember being a kid and that being discussed, but I don't remember like what you're discussing there, like anything. Else. It was like, well, once they've, you know once they're out of the hospital they're they're just normal that's it so you is this sort of the first time people are actually bothering not bothering but you know what I mean bothering being to, able to yeah invest in to, the stu- science to it, yeah. see actually how much it affects you it'll be the life. biggest study like it and the one over the longest period of time um, and there are of wow. course other laboratories and research centers around the UK mm. and also in other parts of the world and more and more those doctors connect with each other. Mm. The doctor, Ian Lang, who was the neonatologist who'd looked after Jennifer and who saw us through that time, also was there when my two other children were born and kind of checked them off, is now a trustee of 
of the charity um, and still involved to this day. But he would host every second year what he called a perinatal festival <laughs> um, rather than a conference or a seminar, but yeah. pulling people together, inviting them from all over the world so that they could share that information together. And I think I've wow. learned that that if everyone's doing their own amazing study, but they start to share it. And I, you know, I know now that babies are being born who have a better chance of survival because of the work of all these scientists together. Um, and I'm really proud of the contribution that our lab makes. That's incredible. That's absolutely amazing that you went to, I mean, you know, <laughs> grief drives people to make all sorts yeah, of choices. Of course, but the fact that yeah. it drove you to really make really make a very concrete change I think that must have that's incredible because it you know it's very hard in that space of pain to I mean I understand like wanting to do something positive but to really make the actions that you have done I think is yeah amazing commendable that so much change has come out of that yeah I feel I went through the personal journey of grieving that loss and recognizing Mm. I mean certainly the impact on Gordon but also on our wider family and friends Mm. um and those first few years are particularly tough and painful. But then there's a way where it's always part of you. There's a little piece of you yeah. that's always broken. And, you know, the the pain is there. But I also, what have I learned? I learned two things, really. One is, at the beginning, because I'd always been someone who was busy and organised and running different things and active, it hadn't occurred to me what the impact would be afterwards. So... My mm. instincts were to put, try and put myself back together, try and be the same person I was before. Yeah. And I don't know what made the penny drop, but at some point I suddenly realised I didn't ever need to be the same person again. And it was like a weight lifted. Um, oh. So to put the energy into a, a lab, I mean, I, you know, I run around and make a lot of noise about it. I raise funds for it. I, it connects back into their world, uh, the charity I'm involved with, because we're doing so much international work. Because I'm mindful that our special care baby units in the UK are pretty mm. amazing. And you'll see that in developed countries. But if you're a baby being born in sub-Saharan Africa or something, then those chances are, um, you know, stacked up against you if you're an early baby so a lot of my drive comes through that but I also you don't need to fix everything in the same way and Mm. I'll talk often to parents who are going through a much more recent loss and it's one of the things that I'll say over and over again is trying to kind of restore yourself back to being the same person you don't have to do it and the minute you understand you don't have to do it everything's easier because then you can figure it out as you go along you don't have to keep trying Mm. to fix it um I think that's such a (laughs) such a sage piece of advice because I think what happens with grief as well is that all you the only stable person you know is that person from the past Mm -hmm. so I think that's why you reach for it because you're like well they were stable like their world made sense it wasn't crazy it wasn't scary and uncontrollable so you I know exactly you mean like you kind of scrabble back for that person because you're like somewhere in the past I had my feet on the ground and now I don't and it it's a really hard acceptance of like you never did you never had your feet on the ground (laughs) you just thought you did because you know like you hadn't experienced a great loss so you you know things had happened that were bad but they weren't completely without without your control and I think that's a really lovely way of putting it that you yeah give up the fight you don't you don't have to try and well, that's not be the fight. Normal, be okay. a, yeah, yeah, there are different different actions you can take. And and the second overwhelming thing that I learned in that time through the 
kind of overwhelming pain of it was not to let go of how much love you have for the person that you've Mm. lost. Um, Because it's very easy to go, right, I'll just manage, I'll just button myself up a bit and I'll Mm. not, because it's so sore, it's so painful. But actually letting go of that and having all the love you can is a much easier pathway, you know, through it. I think, yeah, it's really, it's really scary to do that, I think, because like you said, you sort of have to let the river take you yeah. <laughs> um, and just trust that you'll be okay. And I think what happens to people, like you said, is it seems so raw and so painful to trust that if you let that love out, you're going to be okay. I think it's like self-preservation is that you think that buttoning up comes from thinking maybe I'll be safer. It'll be, I'll be in less pain, but you won't. You like you said the pain is there mm. I think if you can as you obviously have just let the love out that you had for Jennifer I think that's a, that's amazing it's it's a real journey though isn't it like you said obviously you speak to people who are like those first few years and I find when I do this show if I speak to people I call them like fresh <laughs> fresh grievers like it's a very different they're looking at very different worlds if they're you know and obviously for me I'm talking about not babies or children um but if they've just lost their parent or someone you know their family who's very close and they say one two three years into it and they sometimes I don't know if you have this sometimes they talk to me and I'm 20 something years down the line mm. and they give me a look like oh my god am I still going to feel like this in 20 years time and you want to be like mm. it's not that you won't be okay you will be but of course like you said it's it's always part of you and it's it's I guess it's hard to see that at the beginning of the journey. No, at the beginning of the journey, it's you're taking each day and mm. some days you're just absolutely floored by it and can't do anything. And then other days, which are an easier day, you get to the end of it and actually feel guilty that you managed your way through the day. Yes. So it's really yeah. complicated those first that first time through it. Gordon was interesting because the thing, he, he loves music and will listen to a lot of music and he couldn't listen to music at all. Oh, it's too much, For a good. Yeah year plus I would say and even then went back into it quite gently because music just goes straight at you and unlocks emotion Mm. and that was too 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 it was like too raw and too much Mm. Um, and it took a while to kind of move back around to that Um, and I think that's so important for people to realize that if you say you can't listen to music it's not that you never will be but like you might just have to wait yeah like you said if you're if when it's so raw and it's so painful it sometimes your your body's protecting you your body's just like no you're not ready yeah <laughs> you're not ready to open that box yet but you will be you will be and it's tr- it's really trusting yourself isn't it of like okay not not yet but not because it, it would have been easy for him to think well I'm never going to listen to music ever again well you don't know you don't know how you long it know, will last yeah. you don't know what that is it just that's what what it was at that time at that time and then yeah. a couple year further down the line I could hear music coming out of the study and I think oh okay you know oh. that's moved on a bit that must have been so nice to hear that and feel like, okay, there's, he's able to hear that again. That must have been really moving. Yeah, and I think he missed music, but you just yeah. do, what, do what you can and protect yourself. But it's that balancing thing of not locking yourself down too much. You've got to do yes. the work and you've got to let yourself go through things that are really painful. Yeah, you're right. It's such a balance. I think that's such a key word of like being kind, but not not locking it away yeah <laughs> uh, being like okay today I can't handle it but but keep checking in because there might be a day you can handle it rather than going that's it doors closed I'm never going to talk about it I'm never going to listen to music I'm it's too painful because you often can get there but you have to sort of yeah keep asking yourself the question I suppose of like are you ready are you ready to have that chat 
Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Welcome back to Griefcast with Carrie Adloyd. Did you seek counselling or anything like that, or was it just too... Well, I talked to quite a lot of people, but I didn't actually have a, a therapist myself, mm. but I certainly went and talked to people who were experts, talked to people who'd experienced that before, mm. and used the opportunity of parents who'd lost children earlier. Mm. And then I kind of pay that forward by being available for those conversations now. Um, I think that's such an important part of the sort of grief network that perhaps isn't talked about a lot, that if if somebody is kind to you who's been in that situation, yeah, you, do. you appreciate it so much, don't you? Especially when they've had a similar situation to you. Mm. And then, yet yeah, paying it forward and being like, right, now whenever I hear somebody in that situation, I will text them and say, what do you need? I'm here. I, I can help you. Yeah, very much so. And I I remember the letters that I'd read at the beginning of women who'd written to me saying I lost a baby 50 years ago and um and of course at that time no one talked about it you sort Mm. of was supposed to get over it have another one move on what I learned very quickly from from that group of women writing to me was something that's quite important now for me with my children I have two teenagers now and um each child is so different Jennifer is so different to my other two Mm. and um because you get to know that little person and who they are. So they feel very separate and very individual from each other. And lots of times people come at you from the outside with a sort of, oh, if you have another one, it'll make it better. And that's a very out-of-date mm. way of thinking. But it also means you that's... invest everything, you know, in yeah. there. it's just, you know, everyone's different and everyone you love in your life is different and separate. It's a really strange thing that seems to happen 
with child um, and baby grief, particularly, Mm -hmm. because, you know, no one in my life has said to me, why don't you just get a new dad? Like no one's ever gone, oh, you know, let's just have another one, find another dad. It's like, they might say, oh, it's nice to have a male, different male role model. You wouldn't say that to someone whose grandma died. No, sure. And yet, but for children, it's like this idea, like you said, that because you didn't know them, inverted commas, they weren't, their personality wasn't completely fully formed. Therefore, you won't, you know, miss them or you can just have another one and, and it's the same as if it's a cat but we <laughs> I think even people with cats would disagree that yeah we know, know and understand not- a lot more I think I think ideas have have really shaped and and evolved and um mm. you know I know that what I was looking at um and the experience that happened to us is is just very different now I mean it's still too high the rates of stillbirths mm. and neonatal deaths and there's still so many things to explore and understand but the breakthroughs have been extraordinary um Mm. one thing that brought it round full circle for us is um gordon was obviously leader of the labor party but prior to you know uh, and before tony blair john smith had been the leader of the labor party who had had died very suddenly and um his three daughters lost their dad far too young but catherine uh who's a lawyer had um married another lawyer she has a, a little girl who was born very very prematurely and had a very precarious start in life and Ella is now at nursery school and will be starting big school very soon and has thrived but when Catherine was in hospital being looked after they told her that what had saved her daughter's life was the work of our lab. Oh Sarah that's incredible. And everyone always says to you if if you save one life it's enough. Oh my god! Yeah, <laughs> you you don't need to rack it up into the hundreds. I think one is more than enough. That's incredible. What? But it just comes, oh, yeah, full circle. How yeah. it all connects, you know. It's very strange, isn't it? It's very strange. I think once you're willing to see see that side of life, that there is death and mm. there is pain mm. and there is that, you know, very unspoken place present like you said it is common Mm -hmm. and once you're willing to accept that and you can see how much it can be connected to life in the same way Mm -hmm. for sure it doesn't it doesn't always necessarily lead for a less painful life but it's a more truthful I think Mm -hmm. once you sort of are aware of that side of it but that's in that's incredible that Jennifer has led to has led to that yeah and I know that the work's also led to a lot of changes in lots of other areas but it was just the kind of poignancy of it coming back around into our own world yeah yeah exactly like you said to to your to someone being able who you knew being able to say that back to you yeah exactly so you you have two sons now I wonder if you might be asking if when you were pregnant with I guess the yeah your with John yeah Yeah, with John was that very difficult did you have a lot of anxiety about it or were you um well you're in the midst of speaking to obstetric you know because of the trust were you much more able to sort of deal with that side of it well I was checked and looked after all the way through it and um there was never anything to worry about during the whole of it so of course I was cautious and, and aware of it but probably as much as anyone else who'd felt a reason to be kind of yeah you know anxious if somebody had had miscarriages before or something you know you'd always be cautious going through it so I was really careful and I was looked after and checked probably more mm. than I would have been otherwise and everything went very smoothly with both of them. So, but it's, a, you know, every day and month and, you know, of the pregnancy felt very long, you know. Yeah. Time stands yeah. still at the end, doesn't it, anyway? so Yeah, God, and I can imagine, I can imagine it's, 
but you worry obviously as I've just been through <laughs> you worry anyway with yeah pregnancy, of course you do yeah you know and like you said but yeah once you've been through something like that so I don't know gonna... whether I worried more or I just did the right yes. amount of worry <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah all you the can way never through tell, can you? and I'm always mindful just... thinking of them that they grow up with a big sister they never got to knew and that has an impact oh. in your family too so We've always how have you have you talked to them talked about openly it? her pictures in not in our house with theirs and um, yeah I've always you know explained to them that you know the shortness of her life meant that we just had a big focus you know with her and all the time that we spent with her but you don't get to decide those things somehow you know there's the mm. huge unfairness of it but yeah I think it's know. good if you can, I think it's really good if you can if you can talk about it with other children obviously I don't have the experience but I from my other experience of of grief that I think it's easy for children to become scared of these things if it's Mm -hmm. not discussed Mm -hmm. um and but of course for some people it's just too hard to even say out loud I I do I do understand that so the fact that they are very aware but then I guess as you said you know you were so in the public eye like but you think that was a positive in a way because you said... Well, you it wasn't really because we were under <laughs> such scrutiny. It was awful. Mm. I mean, in so many ways, it was so painful. But it was just I never had to explain my situation mm. um, to anyone. I mean, literally to anyone. Yeah, because I was just Everyone thinking... Everyone I mean, Yeah, I mean, I remember it, I remember it being in the papers. Mm. And that's just thinking like... It's such a different world when your life is is headlines. I can't. I mean, I can't imagine how how difficult that must have been when you're trying to deal with something that's sort of unfathomable anyway. Yeah, I mean, I can go and about it's... my life now without anyone paying any attention at all. <laughs> and um, but but then at that particular moment and mm. for a long time afterwards, yeah. So everywhere I would go, people would come up and talk. To, I mean, people were sweet about it. They'd and there's that. Most people will say most of the time the right thing and every now and then mm. someone will say something so cluckingly awful <laughs> that you can't quite believe they've said it and you also sometimes catch their eye and realise they can't believe they've said it either. Um, yes. But it's just what I learned then was everybody is well-meaning even when mm. they say the wrong thing. There's nobody that's trying to say to you it doesn't matter or it's not important or they're all saying whatever's coming out of their mouth they're all saying I'm so sorry that's absolutely terrible I'm so sorry that happened to you um I think that's a really good thing to remember because I think when you are quite raw mm-hmm. it just feels like knives oh people it? say like, stupid, stupid things and if I was standing with a friend or something they'd be going I cannot believe that person <laughs> just said that I mean one of the um charities that look after um you know the that deal with baby deaths and um mm. used it sat, i thought but unfortunately as an opportunity to kind of promote themselves but we we're mm. at a i can't remember we we're at a big conference or something a labor party conference or something like that probably there was lots of people and i remember this man chasing me down the corridor to try and have a conversation with me about it and i oh know my god i know what he was doing was thinking we're all you know we're all in this together and there's I don't know but it was 100% the wrong thing to be doing (laughs) and he got seen off by the people that I was with so sharply but it was very gracious where you go I know but you kind of go there must have been a thought process that Mm. went oh I'll just go and have that conversation and and maybe that will help this charity (laughs) but it was just like that was so it was the wrong judgment (laughs) 
appallingly, really. You're, yeah, you're, you're, being, you're being very kind about what is a, a very silly thing to do. It's just really but I awful. Think, but, so, yeah. I know what you mean, because I have it as well. Like, you know, I think, and also I found the longer the grief has gone on, I've got much more um, empathetic with people. Whereas when I was, you know, a fresher, I'd be like, whoa, like, what the you just said to me yeah now I think I can now I can see you could like you said you can see in their eyes like they're trying so So hard hard, yeah and And if they don't have the experience they don't have you know you can kind of go to all the wrong places and say yeah the wrong thing and when it's something you know where you know you lost your dad really over such a short period of time Mm. that that whole shock to the system and and kind of processing it people walk right into that one you know and say ludicrous things you know oh god definitely and I think it's just it took me a long time to realize of like it's hard because I think when you've had it happen to you for quite a long while you're on like the, the fence of grief so you you can't see what it's like from the other side you're like why can't you just think of something pleasant to say but when you are on the other side as I have been it took a long time for me to be on that side that I was I remember being faced with someone and thinking oh my god I don't know what oh I don't know what to say this is hard yeah whereas I think when you're just consumed with your own pain you just think like you don't yeah you know it's to you you're like oh that's difficult is it you don't know what to say well actually what I'm feeling is extremely difficult but yeah I think it's I can't it's a really complicated thing isn't it when it happens to someone in the public eye and I I you know I have this with with asking people to do the show because you know I might read about someone who's had a great and think oh oh I wonder if they'd like to do the show and then I have to check myself and be like carrier they might not want to talk about it <laughs> because especially when it's you know like you said it's early days it, it can be so painful so chasing someone down a corridor it's never a good idea it's the not least a good move really it's no. contacted your people you know what it's I mean like yeah, yeah. <laughs> like yeah I think did you ever feel like and uh, you don't have to answer this at all but I just wonder because of the world you were in mm. particularly I guess I think it's fair to say politics is a fairly masculine world did you ever feel like there was a lack of feeling that that world you were living because you were living at um number I was going to say 10 it's number 11 isn't it or what uh, you're in Downing Street that's yeah we were in Downing Street yeah it, it's really complicated because there's a you're at number at that time we would have been at number 11 but the um accommodation is at number 10 and vice versa so it's yeah it's a complete <laughs> muddle for anyone to figure out oh my goodness um but yeah did you feel like that Westminster particularly was struggled to a kind of harsh environment to go through yeah, that yeah yeah um no but only because i think you know even politicians and civil servants are human yes too. yeah <laughs> um and having you know there a lot of them are part of my world and mm. um people were extraordinarily kind uh, you know and reached out cross party and you know yeah. engaged and i think people were very sympathetic and thoughtful working around gordon while recognizing the fact that he was getting on with a with a yeah. job yeah, so no, I didn't find that was um, a difficult environment. Slightly more differently, when it comes to the policy end, um, mm. I don't think quite so much happens. And I think that kind of quite heavily male-dominated environment misses things, I think, are kind of, you know, and that's true in lots of other ways, you know, a sort of yes. dominant white environment misses things mm. across other communities. So there's a, um, when, when we were at uh, number 10 and Gordon was prime minister, um, one of the things I picked up on was the international focus for women through pregnancy and mm. um, the high rates of maternal mortality around the world. So that became a very good, big campaign for me during the three years there. And the thing that triggered that was 
there was something at that time called the Millennium Development Goals, and there were eight goals, and each one of them had targets to reduce poverty and um, ensure child survival and impact on climate change. And one of them, number five, right in the middle, was to reduce the number of maternal deaths around the world. And that was the one that had made zero progress. Nothing had happened. The wow. numbers hadn't shifted. And this, we're in 2007 now, 2008. And um, so I asked for the papers from the G8 meetings to say what had been discussed, because there was always a moment where they just they were down mm. to discuss those eight goals. And it turned out that at the G8 meetings, they'd never discussed that goal. They'd never discussed maternal mortality. They'd oh, skipped gosh. over it. So I pushed back and went. We don't need to. When it gets worse, it gets worse, I'm afraid. I pushed back, asked a really helpful um, civil servant and said, please, could you, you know, you're the Sherpa for these G8 meetings. Could you tell me, could you find out why they've not discussed it? Mm. And here comes the answer. No one had anything to say. That was the reason they had never discussed it. Oh, fucking hell. <laughs> so I joined up with the White Ribbon Alliance and various yeah. different media parts. Anyway, we coordinated a campaign that by the time it moved to the, you know, three G8s later and we were gone by then, but there was a massive outpouring of money and I felt that... But it was just one of those ones where you just scratched the surface and suddenly mm. there was a lot to say um, and a lot that could be done. And it was just about unlocking the political will and the and the funding for it. And guess what? It made a difference. And um, and I don't, isn't it sometimes? I don't think I'd have yeah, known to ask, nor been as bold about it. But I think that's the time when government can get stuck with things. If you need mm. that, you need all kinds of people in government. It's, you know, we need mm. more different, you know, kind of whole range of people contributing because otherwise we're missing things that are important to people. It can't just all be one kind of person. Yeah, um, absolutely. Absolutely. I think, it, it, as, as you know, as the you know black lives matter um movement has been educating us all on so eloquently recently of like you just go there's so many things that of course if it doesn't cross your path right in front of you it's hard to notice it and i feel like that a lot with grief you know when i speak to people who who haven't experienced it those they just have never had to think about it because they haven't yeah (laughs) so you know life from our own experiences people get stuff wrong and are a bit scratchy about it but also when you first start asking the questions and making the demands you're going to get pushback and it's tricky so um if if ever's a letter from any of the things i've done i would say to the black Lives matter people don't give up because once once you get going and once people are listening unlocking the political will and the financing is a huge amount of what will make a lasting difference you know yeah god yeah Um, yeah and for people to be aware that that like you said with the maternal death rates of like there is something to say about that there's never nothing to say (laughs) like there is something to always as you said once you scratch the surface yeah and we have a national health service here um so actually when you look across different groups uh we just it's clearly families who are uh less well off who who will have higher rates so we have to do more there but if you go to a country like the usa where it's all private health care it's black families who are more adversely affected by it whether maternal death rates are higher whether mm. infant death rates are higher um and in some parts of the states for the s- same reasons as some parts as, of sub-saharan africa the same levels and it's wow. the same reason which is lack of access to affordable decent quality mm. healthcare. well so. it's the same here isn't it i know that um black women in the uk are five times more likely to die in childbirth than their white counterparts which you know is just incredibly shocking isn't it well it is it isn't shocking it is shocking and it isn't shocking because it's the facts and it's the truth but yeah it still makes you sort of step back and look at 
the word 2020 doesn't it sometimes it like you you know as you said there have been huge leaps and that's amazing but there's yeah there's work there's work to do yeah um, with with Jennifer's memory obviously mm-hmm. you have you know you've done all this work and you have the trust um did you do you have anything sort of more I guess this is a very personal, more personal. Question, do, yeah like do is there like the anniversary and stuff for you is it yeah, so for us, the anniversary of her birth is really important to us, so falling mm. just after Christmas. So when we are in the holiday time, we tend to go very quiet and be together as a family. Jennifer's buried in um, a small churchyard that's about 25 miles away from where we live, which I do remember when we first um, decided that she would be there, feeling that at least it was just far enough away that I wouldn't kind of completely just be there all the time all the time all the time it was quite healthy oh, for that's me that's interesting but it was like, yeah yeah it's, it's a good I don't know it's maybe a little bit further than that but it's like a good I don't know half an hour 40 minutes drive to get to so it's just far enough away that you can't yeah. just kind of pop in there but that's quite an important place for us to go um mm. the reason why we chose there um because we were in Fife in Scotland it's where um Jennifer was born and then she'd passed away in Edinburgh in the Royal Infirmary there that um Gordon's family my family have a big connection with Fife but Gordon's father and his mother are buried in that same churchyard and we were able to get that space so it was a decision we could make that was near to us and had a family connection and Mm. you know felt safe and secure you know yeah of course and do you go every year is that sort of well we'll always go there then we'll go other times of the year Mm. and um that was where difficult in lockdown actually was being able was feeling you couldn't go and I thought of families who you just think that kind of ritual of being able to go is mm. to somewhere. Um, it was, I think, would have been quite a tricky one through lockdown for a lot of people. Yeah, I, we've, I've been thinking about that a lot, obviously in different circumstances, um, because I think you can, only, you know, you're shaped by your own experience. And I've been thinking about if you, you know, losing someone in lockdown... I just, yeah, I think once you've been through something very traumatic, lockdown is is that extra trauma, isn't it? And I've been really thinking, God, if you had to deal with a cancer situation right now, yeah. when, you know, yeah, there's it's really Martin, tough, yeah. It's really tough, isn't it? And I think, like you said, it's, as ever, it's that it's the, because you've been through it, you, you can imagine, you know how hard it was without that. Yeah. <laughs> so imagining having to deal with, you know, palliative care nurses in full PPE and, and not being able to see your, friends and family before someone goes it's just so yeah I hadn't even thought of that of course if because my we don't he wasn't buried we sort of scattered his ashes um so I hadn't thought of like yeah having a place that is really important to you that allows you to connect with them and then not being allowed to go there must have been really painful well you just sort of felt you've got to follow the guidelines and can't you know you know no kind of special trips just because you decide it's important for you so we all follow follow the rule most of us followed the rules anyway most of us did (laughs) Most of us thought that was important to do. But we've been um, able to go um, more recently and that's felt really good to be able to go and leave some flowers and, you know, mm. just be there. But I also feel she's very much around us. So Yeah, mm. and it sounds like she really is, mm-hmm. you know, like you, she's, you know, with the work of the trust and the work that you've done to help other people and just, I think, gaining the understanding that you have of what happened. Yeah, you can't like she- unknow it and then you think you mm. have to do something. I read a thing, I don't know if this, will, if this will be helpful, but um, when I first started doing this show and I was Googling grief or something and I found this like site, which was like reactions to grief. 
And I was like, oh, okay. And it had all these like four categories of like how people react. And the last one was activist. Mm -hmm. And it said, this person is driven by their grief to do everything possible to help and change because, you know, they are so confounded with what they, they wasn't there for them. And I remember reading it and being like, like <laughs> you know, when there's like a mirror, you're like, oh God, I thought I was just doing something really normal. But, and I think it sort of sat with me for a bit and I was like, oh, is that, is it, am I doing it wrong? And then I was like, actually, why not? Why not? Why not? Like you yeah. said, why not become an activist after something has happened to you that was difficult and there wasn't the, quite the things that you needed to know? So I think, yeah, it sounds like you have. Well, I haven't changed gear in that regard. I mean, I'd been mm. um, activist is such a cheesy word, really, in lots of ways. I know. But well, it was. It is now. I remember I read it quite a few years ago when it wasn't such a term thrown around. Yeah. But I suppose I everything I did before was geared around what the things were you could do to to mm. change things. Going, you know. Um, back a long way to the old drop the deck campaigns and the mm. you know um, anti-nazi league stuff and stuff so i'm you know so ancient i was part of all of that <laughs> anti-apartheid and um so i guess i'm just harnessing that you feel that you should do the mm. things that you could do um mm. and i'll pull in you know other people i know who've got different skills and can bring in different things that they bring to it but i don't feel as though i've changed gear with my life to to mm accommodate so much that's kind of for and about Jennifer mm. although talking to you today I realize it sounds like quite a lot <laughs> but it doesn't <laughs> feel like it's kind of an overwhelming part of my life it's just something that sort of chanters along at the side you know? yeah I, I yeah and it doesn't I know what you mean like I, you know I don't feel like this podcast like dominates my yeah, life it's not it's your only something, thing, anything, yeah. yeah no not at all and of course when you talk about it and then people think oh oh she does talk about death and you're like no I, I do also watch RuPaul's Drag Race and like have other chats <laughs> but like this is obviously what we're talking about but I think I just think it's you know you death exists you can't do anything about it that's that's the facts that's yeah. the really horrible hard facts that you have to learn if something positive can come out of it obviously it doesn't for everybody but if you can find some way of carrying it with you and allowing something positive to be there at the same time as the pain I do think it's it's not a bad it's not a bad thing and it sounds like that's what's happened with Jennifer that all this amazing work and all this knowledge and education that you've been able to share I just think that's yeah if that's I really don't lovely. fight the idea that we lost her far too young and she lost her mm. you know the rest of her life yeah. that's the bit that's infuriating and mm. unfair but if I focus on the time that we did have it was incredibly precious and I can remember all of it and also the yeah, lessons learned from it, you can kind of put to good effect. Um, yeah. And she feels a part of that. I think that's a really important thing to, to end on as well, that it, it's not that there's no positive to what happened to her. You know, like you said, like she, it was too pressure, it was too short and that is deeply painful. And I, I feel like that, you know, when I talk about my dad as well, like, you know, he was really young and I was really young and it, it's really sad, but it doesn't mean that, life is just so much more complicated than that I think sometimes when people hear like oh well I still carry that grief they imagine oh would you just spend your days wailing and not being happy and you're like no it's more it's more colorful than that <laughs> like you said it's not just this isn't just the one thing you do this is an aspect of that you do and you carry Jennifer with you but it's not the the whole of what has happened to you since that no and my life with my family is um mm. kind of there's so many other aspects to it um for all of us so yeah. yeah. <laughs> Life is there to live for sure. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much for talking to me about Jennifer. I really, really appreciate it. And 
I just think what you've done sounds amazing. So thank you for all that as well. And we will provide information for um, about their world and the trust as well if people want to see it on the show notes. Thank you. You can follow Sarah on Twitter at Sarah Brown UK and you can follow her global children's charity Their World at Their World as T-H-E-I-R World. For more information, please visit www.theirworld.org and for more information on the Jennifer Brown Research Laboratory, if you head to the Their World um, website and go to Projects Jennifer Brown Research Laboratory, there's more information there and they also have the story of Catherine Smith and Ella on there as well which is the uh, little girl whose life was saved thanks to the research that Sarah had done thank you so much for listening I really appreciate it I hope that the episode is useful or helpful in some way Um, if you are going through baby loss or have gone through it as I said there are other episodes and the charity saying goodbye is the one that I I do really recommend Zoe who runs it Zoe Clark Coates is on uh, Instagram as well and posts a lot of wonderful stuff You've been listening to The Griefcast. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at The Griefcast. Uh, the show was edited by Kate Holland. It uh, was recorded in my living room and Sarah's study, I think. And the music was provided by the Glue Ensemble. And artwork is by Jade Perkin. And remember, you are not alone. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started 